0: Slashing like potatoes. Vodka. The water came down like vodka. (laughs) This pop filter... Is going to drive me insane. I
1: like how you waited to like adjust it till right before the music ran out too. Yeah, of course like we had that I did. Whole I did intro. have
0: a lot of time to do it, but.
2: <laughs> Tyler's uh, just feeling a little bit defeated right now
1: because we've been at it for a good five hours and you've been at it longer. So.
0: What time is it? What it's like eleven
1: thirty at night on Holy Halloween sweet Eve.
0: God. I checked my watch twice to see what time it was, and I'm so tired I couldn't even tell what time it was. (laughs) I had to look at my phone because I needed a digital. He
1: he can't read like (laughs) old fashioned time settings anymore. And his pop filter, (laughs) it's so evil. For those who aren't like involved in podcasting, the pop filter is the little like windscreen thing that goes in front of his microphone.
0: Yeah. It's been a long day.
1: It has been a long day, but it's been a fun day.
0: It's been so fun, but I mean, like I'm doing this on top of working a 40-hour <laughs> week, right? So, oh God, all right, I'm not doing pop filter. It's not. We it's are not
1: unfiltered. Right. Well, Tyler is. I'm, I'm unfiltered. I'm thoroughly I can filtered. Say anything
0: like popsicle? <laughs> 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 uh, guys, welcome to the special Halloween. Special edition. Woo. Uh, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to muster up some energy for this
1: because we spent all of our energy reading your guys's amazing stories.
0: Seriously like, amazing. So
1: cool. Uh, fact, I was oh. blown away by like the number and the quality of the submissions that we got.
0: I need to look to Do- actually make sure that it's recording. Okay, it yeah. So I've got so much energy for today's <laughs> show. But really, it doesn't matter if I have energy, because you guys aren't going to be listening to me the whole time. (laughs) You're not even going to listen to Hannah the whole time.
1: No. You're like, thank God. (laughs) Yeah. No. But you're going to listen to us to start off, because we figured that since we asked you guys to share your writing with us, it was only fair to kind of bear our own souls, writerly souls. Right. And uh, this is my first time actually writing flash fiction. Yeah. That was, was a fun little challenge. It
0: was not my first time, but I will say I think that this is the best I've ever done. Really, at flash fiction, which isn't which is not saying much. <laughs> my story is meh at best.
1: I like it, and at least it <laughs> has an ending. <laughs> You'll understand that uh, self-deprecating joke when we get to it. I
0: think your ending has a as long as it's read the right way. <laughs> you have a great ending. Thank you. If someone's just skimming over it and then it just ends, then they're like, wait, what?
1: (laughs) And they're like, where did the rest of the manuscript go? (laughs) Did I drop a page? I legitimately,
0: (laughs) when I was skimming through it, I I like flipped the page over and I'm like, wait, that's the beginning of it. Where's the rest of this story? No.
1: (laughs) I gave it to my sister to read before I like added it to our our Google Drive and she like yells at me from the other room. She's like, Hannah, where's the rest of the story?
0: Nice, nice.
1: So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just hop right into it. Um, So the first one we're going to share is Tyler's story, which is called Scrying, read by me.
0: Yeah, Scrying, read by Hannah, written by Tyler. Here we go.
1: There's an interdimensional demon living in the house next door. Or rather, I think I see an interdimensional demon in the house next door. Because as far as I was aware, Old Man Crane was the only person who lived in the house. Him and the thousands of broken and dusty antiques that he collects. And while Old Man Crane is a bit of a kook, I wouldn't say he's a demon. I certainly wouldn't think that he was the thing standing in the window of the second-story bedroom that stares directly into my bedroom. I mean, it could be him, but it does seem to be a weird shape, and it keeps gestating in odd and creepy movements like time is skipping back and forth. The shadow creature, whether it's Crane or not, though I'm starting to think it's not due to the blood that seems to be spilling from its cracked, toothy smile, stands in one spot, night after night. I see it through my window as I stand between my bed and my little brother's bed. I watch it, like a bad YouTube video of a kid breaking his arm. I'm disgusted, but I can't look away. Great, now it's breaking its own arm, then swallowing it with massive unhinged jaws, like a mix between a shark and a snake. All I can really make out is the mouth, and the eyes, those dog-like eyes, reflecting the light back at me, like the glass of the window for the neighboring house, reflecting two perfect moons out across the alleyway. The creature, now very obviously not Mr. Crane, stands tall, taller than me, and its body is black. It's a silhouette, a shadow, It's tall enough and wide enough that I could fit within its body and still have room to move. In fact, I see my own face in the reflection of the window. It seems to look down at my reflection. Licking its lips, it prepares for an attack, like it's gonna launch across the empty space to get me. It's gonna ram its shadow-like head through the glass and reach out and take a shark-sized snap out of my face. I can, I can feel its breath on me. I can hear its maw open, drool sliding down the teeth, and I thank God that I'm in a completely separate house because glass and wood can stop an interdimensional demon, right? Then I feel it. It sinks right into my shoulder. I scream, because obviously. I turn to see my mom. Her face is angry and penetrating as the demon across the way. You didn't take out the trash, she hisses. I breathe out, hard, happy to be alive. I, uh, yeah, I forgot. Well, I suggest you get it out to the curb before the trash guy gets here. She turns and walks away, as if that was the end of the conversation. She makes it to the door and turns, glaring at me. It's like 3 a.m., I plea in a whisper. Then you better hurry, the trash guy will be here soon, she hisses, looks at my sleeping brother, then my mom leaves. He sleeps hard enough to never even know a demon was there, let alone my mom. The thought stays with me as I pull the massive hunk of trash out to the curb. My brother would be defenseless against a creature like that. I watched the dark, antique-filled house as I walked to the street. If that thing were to jump the distance between Crane's Place and ours, I would have to be there to fight it. Not sure how to beat up a thing that seems to boil blood and eat fear, its great big eyes piercing and beaming like a harvest moon. Then a crash goes off to me, and I scream again, cause seriously, anyone else would come on. I turn with kung-fu grip on my trash bag, black, smelly, Santa Claus-style nunchucks. Standing there is old man Crane, throwing the trash of his haunted house into his less haunted trash can. Oh my god, I screech, relieved. You forget to take your trash out too, he asks, not acknowledging my very manly scream. Jeez, Mr. Crane, I thought you were an interdimensional demon. Now that I say it out loud, I feel silly. Oh, Crane asks, a slight smile on his old wrinkly face. His eyes flash, but they're happy, like a person who has a knock-knock joke loaded and ready to go. It helps me calm down a little. I start to think that all of this was a dream. The creature, the graveyard light grin, the werewolf ready eyes. It's gotta be a dream, right? Do you see a lot of those? Crane finishes asking. Well, to be honest, I pause. I did see one. Really? Where? Uh, In your house? He doesn't skip a beat. Which room? The one, um, that's across the way from my room. The old man turns his head and creaks his neck to look at the window of my room. It isn't easy to see, but it isn't impossible either. He then turns his head, tracking the same height and location, but on his own house. He sticks his bottom lip out and humps, the way only an old man could. My eyes flicker, house, crane, house, Trash. House. Old man. What? Well, the room across the way there, he points, that one is where I store all my old glass, frames, and mirrors. So? So, he says, as if he is telling the punchline to a joke. An evil, unfunny old joke. So if you're seeing something in my mirror room, you're most likely seeing a reflection of what's in your own room. The interdimensional demon is... I cut him off as I dropped the trash. It's in my room with my little brother.
0: So that was scrying.
1: I actually loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> my I like
0: mic. my it, mic popped.
1: It started off strong. It was like we are getting right into this creepiness. And we are going to keep it rolling until it gets even worse.
0: So that's so I, I can get I can be pretty neurotic about my writing. Was it creepy to you?
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right. I think the the twist got me. Did it? Yeah. All right. I was like, oh, because at first I was just like, oh, this is kind of like entertaining creepy. And then yeah. it was like, oh, no, this actually has some stakes to it. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I came up with the idea uh, while I was falling asleep two nights ago. And then I, um, I told my coworker about it, and he was like, "There needs to be more stakes. There needs to be something in the bedroom that he needs." And I was like, "Oh, okay." He's like, "I don't know. Maybe a sibling. Maybe something up there, and he has to go back there." I was like, "No, I can make that work." So I threw ah, that in.
1: You've got a very useful coworker.
0: <laughs> I know, right? He's a smart guy. It's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I had fun with it. I thought you read it really well. Thank you. Um
1: it's a lot of pressure reading Tyler's work because Tyler reads so like dramatically and <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs>
0: you guys are gonna get a taste of that. I'm just later. over
1: here like I'm just gonna try my best, guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um so listeners, if you liked it, let me know. Maybe I can keep trying to do some more flash fiction. But now is Hannah's turn for is it the host? It's or called t- the host. Right, like not Stephanie Myers. Oh God! <laughs> <I'm>
1: sorry, <laughs> not that the host. It's just the host, guys.
0: Just the host. Um, and I got to read this one, so let's do it. Let's jump into it. It rained the day I got into town. Water slashing the windshield of the black Corolla. They had handed me the keys to at the airport. It made it harder to find 1808 Leah Street and I circled the block before finally locating the alley to the back entrance. That's where the check-in instructions had said to park. Two cars were already there. Prius, with New York plates, in the grass, and a VW bus covered with stickers parked on a, a patch of cement. I pulled in between them and killed the engine, staring up at the tall, skeletal building. My boots were for looks, not functionality. They soaked up water as I rushed to get my bags into the house, keying the code that made the door unlock. There was a quiet inside, except for the muffled sound of the rain. I climbed the stairs, wincing when the third one from the top creaked. I found a narrow hallway with several doors, one ajar, revealing a bathroom. The others had white boards with cheery handwriting, noting the guests. The first said, "Orin and Blanche, Then there was Nathan, the last door on the right bore my name. Inside stood a simple bed, a dresser with a mirror on top and a nightstand with an old fashioned lamp. I sat on the edge of the bed and wait out the rain. I didn't see any of the other guests the first day, but that evening I did hear the closing of doors and voices deadened by walls. I considered going out to introduce myself but thought the better of it. The second day it stopped raining and I left the house to sightsee. When I returned with aching feet and sweat matted hair, I froze in the hallway. My door was wide open. I couldn't, wouldn't have left it that way. I ran in and searched my luggage, tearing through clothes and books. Everything was accounted for. Not that I had anything to steal anyway. Standing with my hands on my hips, it felt like spiders were crawling up my spine. From the corner of my eye, I caught something move in the mirror's face. They spun around, but nothing was there. I didn't hear anyone that night. On the third day, I met Nathan. Well, I didn't meet Nathan as much as I crashed into him while I was leaving to get breakfast. He yelped. His face was pale and pinched. He rushed to apologize. Didn't see you there. Trying to get back out. Got distracted. His hair looked sweaty, but maybe he had just showered. Don't worry about it, I said grudgingly. I almost asked him about my room, but I didn't want to seem accusatory, so I just left, glancing at the Prius with its hatch open and suitcases haphazardly thrown in. When I returned several hours later, both cars were still parked behind the house. Strange. I slept restlessly, too warm, then too cold. When it was still dark out, I heard a noise and peered out the window. A pickup, with its headlights off, drove slowly through the alley. Behind it, connected by a chain, Nathan's car followed. I scrambled out of bed to warn him that he was being towed. The hallway was silent. I knocked softly on his door, and it gently swung open. Weird. Why hadn't it been closed? Nathan, I half whispered, you're getting... The words shriveled up on my tongue like a petal in the frost, blood bathed on the floor. Reaching just inches from my bare feet, I stumbled back from the doorway, my limbs suddenly limp. I lunged for Orion and Blanche's room, half-crouching, half-clinging to the wall. This time, my knocking was strong, frantic. The door swung wide open and I choked on my own scream, tears blurred my vision and my entire body quaked as I fled to my room. I snatched the car keys off the night table and straightened up. Down the hall. The stairs creaked.
1: Uh, yeah, so that's that's the ending. Contrary to popular demand. I tried to
0: punch that so <laughs> dramatically. So that it, like, they're like, yeah, obviously that's the ending. Yeah.
1: It, it could go nowhere else <laughs> right.
0: I even like I tried to be dramatic And add quiver to my voice And everything
1: It was so dramatic So quivery
0: Yeah so like <laughs>
1: Um. So I wrote that last week Actually Yeah Like while I was on vacation um, Cause I was In Richmond, Virginia And stayed at an Airbnb That had like a long hallway With whiteboards mm. on the doors And I was like I haven't seen any of the other people who are here. Right. This is weird. And yeah. then I like went to a coffee shop cuz it was raining and I wrote it and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll do this thing. Nice, very cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, you went on a fun trip. We we got to post some some Poe pics.
1: Some Poe pics. Edgar Allan Poe lived in Virginia, y'all.
0: Um, so <laughs> this studio today has been pretty insane. We had In this small room, we had you, me, our three readers, my wife, and then one of the readers is two two small children. Yeah, And it was cramped. It was was nuts, but it was super cool. We got some pizzas. We got some pop. Um, uh, There might or might not be some very good alcoholic beverage. We were all drinking. As he's like holding
1: a mug that says probably whiskey (laughs) on it. (laughs) May or may not have been some alcohol.
0: Right now, my body's doing some weird things. I'm hopped up on coffee (laughs) and uh, possibly alcoholic beverages and pizza, (laughs) barbecue sauce and chicken. There's
1: just a lot of stuff going on. My body
0: doesn't know what the fuck is going on.
1: But yeah, so it was a (laughs) loud evening. Yeah, We had a lot of people in here, but that made it more fun. Yeah, I think so. We were all reading scary stories.
0: I haven't been able to go to any Halloween parties or anything, so this was the equivalent of my Halloween party. And I think it was pretty cool. Like, we're all sitting around telling scary stories, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you said it earlier in the episode. I have been here since 4 o'clock. It's now 1130. I'm very tired, but I just tried to chill and let things happen as they happen. And and it was really fun to listen to other people tell stories or read these stories. Um, and we're even, you know, we, we read stories for another podcast um, that I produce the, the Canby Now podcast and even if you're not from Canby um honestly I would suggest checking out that episode it, it came out today on Halloween as well um after we record this I'm going to spend the next probably 3 <laughs> hours editing that one
1: I'm going to peace out but yeah. he's, he's got work to do <laughs> he's just
0: going to leave me and I'm gonna uh, go to sleep <laughs> and uh so yeah so if you if you like these stories uh, from flash fiction stories that are being sent in um, And you like the voices You can check out the Camby Now podcast Halloween special for this year And you'll hear the same voices telling other Scary stories sent in by the local People of our hometown
1: And those readers are um, James Walden Who yeah. is amazing
0: He has the voice
1: the vo- He has radio yeah. voice 100% I'm I'm jealous and intimidated but whatever (laughs) and then uh Joy Struby, who is amazing too
0: she is such a fun person and she puts a lot of effort into her readings and so the the story that we got out of her today um she did this really subtle I don't know I don't want to give it away we'll (laughs) we'll get (laughs) it we'll let Joy do it
1: (laughs) And then uh, our third reader was Tyler Frankie. Yeah, and uh, he co-hosts the Camby Now podcast with you, yep. Tyler. Obviously, you know.
0: Yep. Um,
1: but yeah, so he, he, he
0: and he's a contributor to one of our stories today. Yes. So he's 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 quite in it. Yeah, he's involved. Here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So our our first up story that was sent in.
1: Yes. It's untitled. Right.
0: He didn't even want to title it. Uh, and it was written by Mr. Mutiny, which we have talked about Mr. Mutiny on our show before because he wrote a review, our first review on iTunes.
1: Just a swell dude all around. Yeah. We, we like pretty him. Pretty much <laughs> one of
0: the best people in the entire world. So, Mr. Mutiny, uh, thank you so much for sending this in. And
1: uh, it's read by Tyler Frankie. Yes, it Enjoy. was.
0: Here we go.
3: It was an ordinary evening as little Elizabeth went through her nightly ritual of brushing her teeth, climbing into bed, and awaiting her parents' goodnight kisses. On this particularly stormy night, little Elizabeth was feeling particularly hungry as she did not eat her dinner, for she despised cabbage. She decided to sneak into the kitchen and find a snack to quench her girthy hunger. Tiptoeing down the hall with much anticipation, she made her way to the kitchen and opened the cupboard. Her eyes locked onto a bag of pork rinds, and her heart and soul knew in an instant, this is the snack she sought. Devouring the unusual snack for an 11-year-old, she returned to bed and began to drift off into dreamland. When she awoke, she found herself staring at herself in the mirror. Little Elizabeth was now just a head placed on her bathroom counter. Horrified, she screamed, and the energy of her cry knocked her off the counter and onto the floor. The bathroom door creaked open, and her father poked his head in and simply said, This is what you get. For eating my pork rinds.
0: So that was a weird one. <laughs>
1: so weird, <laughs> but it was great. I will literally never look at pork rinds the same again. I didn't like them to begin with, but now I hate them. <laughs> I just I don't
0: know what drugs he's on when he does stuff yeah, like, like this.
1: What inspired this? I've I- watched
0: I've watched his Twitch stream. He has a Twitch stream, by the way. Um, you can type in Mr. Mutiny to Twitch, and he does. Uh, art on paint. Like Microsoft Paint.
1: Like the old version?
0: Yeah, like the super old thing. And he does entire images and he lets people tell him what to do. And like he does the weirdest stuff. And and he's a funny guy. He's worth watching on Twitch and stuff every once in a while. So maybe go check him out. Mr. Mutiny on Twitch.
1: You keep being you Mr. Mutiny.
0: (laughs) And thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. So much (laughs) for sending in such a weird story to get us, us a going a peek
1: into your deranged mind <laughs> yeah um so up next we've got a story called always check the candy
0: yeah always uh, check the candy
1: which is great advice every by, halloween
0: by some um not someone I shouldn't say someone by uh, someone yeah no someone who had who um was a part of a writing group that that I posted this kind of this thing out to um she goes by Spooky Boo. Spooky Boo. Yeah. So that's that's fun. Good old spooky boo. Um, and she wrote this originally for another podcast, I think, or a, a vlog or blog. Um, and she sent it over to us and, and we gladly accepted it because it is a fun story. And who is it read right by?
1: Oh, uh James. James. James Walton.
0: Yeah. Again, the voice. The voice. The voice.
1: Prepare yourselves.
4: <laughs> Here we go. Little Timmy Taylor swung his trick-or-treat bag back and forth down Seagrass Drive. He knew his mother was trailing right behind him in the car as he knocked on the door to the next house. The man opened the door and handed Timmy a fistful of candy grumbling that Timmy was out a little late to be trick-or-treating at such a young age. (laughs) I'm sorry, sir, my tummy didn't, he started to say when the man shut the door in his face. Timmy turned around and shrugged at his mother and then continued on to the next house. Trick-or-treat, he said as the door opened. A woman dressed as a black cat answered the door. Oh, look at those fangs! She squealed. You look so realistic. How did you do it? Hmm, I don't know. Mom helped me, Timmy shrugged. He shoved his bag closer to the woman, feeling a little impatient to get to the next house. He was getting really hungry for food, as his dinner didn't sit right earlier, and he couldn't finish all of his plate. He'd been ill for a few days, and going out in the daylight hurt his eyes and made him feel really bad. Tonight was the first night he'd been out of the house for a whole week. His mother almost didn't let him go trick-or-treating, but it was Halloween, and it only comes once per year. <laughs> oh, silly me. Here you go, little Dracula. She put a giant candy bar in his bag. Timmy smiled at her, but when he looked up at her face, she went white with shock. Go on now. It's, it's getting late. You don't look well. He dreaded going to the next house. Whenever he would play with his friends, this old woman would yell and scream at the kids to, be quiet or else. He shook his head no to his mother, but she nodded yes and pointed to the house. With his shoulders drooping, he walked up to the door and he knocked. The door opened slightly and he cracked a fake smile before yelling trick or treat. I have no candy this year, little boy," she grunted and stared down at him. "Oh, just just one little piece? I'm so hungry it hurts." He grabbed at his belly and felt an ache in his gut as it grow growled louder than his dog did when seeing a stranger. "I said, I have no candy." Now, Scoot, get out of here. It's too late for you to be knocking on doors. What is wrong with your mother? Why, I would have a word with that woman tomorrow, Timmy. As she yelled, Timmy could see the veins throbbing in her neck and face. Her screaming made her ugly, but he couldn't resist staring at her heart pulsing through the veins. Without even realizing what he was doing, Timmy jumped at the old woman and grabbed onto her shoulders with both arms as he felt his teeth force their way through her old, leathery skin. He closed his eyes as he felt the sharp little points of his new teeth sink deeper into the vein. The crimson liquid flowed quickly into his mouth as he swallowed gulp after gulp. And when he felt full and relieved, he dropped down to the ground and let her body fall in front of him. Timmy, is everything okay? He heard his mother behind him. Finally feeling better after his week-long illness, Timmy turned around and smiled at his mother. Timmy, how could you? She cried out in anger, flashing red in her eyes. You didn't let me check your candy first! Um, so...
1: That took a turn that I was not expecting, (laughs) like...
0: I think I I think I ex- you can I think when you hear someone reading it, it's a little more obvious. When you're just reading it yourself, it's like, oh wow, okay, yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. But there's a little more foreshadowing when you're hearing someone read it to you.
1: Yeah, he did a good job with it.
0: Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> a really he did good really job. good. Um, so yeah. Uh, so spooky boo. Thank you so much for sending that in. Um, one hundred percent. If we if we do more of these, we we want to see more of your work. You are very talented. Um, it was it was very well done, and
1: and I think if you guys want to see more of her work right now, you can go to um
0: scarystorytime.com.
1: Scary, sorry I couldn't read Tyler Sanders. No, it's all right. It's <laughs> okay. <Storytime>. scarystorytime.com
0: <laughs> Um, she's got uh, a blog where she posts a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, go check that out.
1: Sweet uh so next up we have the hunt written by matt matt does matt have a last name
0: he does but he didn't post it anywhere so i don't want to necessarily like Out i know who, i know him personally um but yeah on the email that he sent in he didn't put it, post his last name at least i don't remember seeing it uh
1: well someday he'll be big enough to like just go by his first name
0: <laughs> yeah uh he's a really big supportive supporter of ours um, he's listened to a lot of my stuff and after we posted our you know first six episodes or so, he called me just to kind of tell me how he felt about it and and um, so it, he's very very nice guy, very encouraging and um, I love that he went out of his way to support us by just writing something. you know he, he it's just another way to support. yeah right we go
1: on and on we're like write us a review and now we're like oh now write us a story guys (laughs) like the review wasn't enough we need you to really really get into this
0: yeah exactly so uh so here we go we're going into the hunt by matt read by
1: frankie tyler
0: frankie
3: what the hell am i doing out here i don't know anything about hunting I mean, sure, I've seen episodes of shows where Joe Rogan runs around with a bow, but that's about as close as I've been to learning how to do it. Dad never brought me out, but I think he was scared of guns. How hard could it be though? Walk around, find a deer, shoot the deer, eat the deer. I honestly have no clue how to gut a deer, but I'm sure I can pull it off with the help of my friend, YouTube. I have tags for bear and cougar as well, so that's pretty much free game if I see one. Shit! What was that? I heard brush breaking to my left. That area was clear-cut a few years ago, so there are limbs everywhere under the grass and sagebrush and briars. The grass is about four feet tall. Sagebrush is taller than me. Briars make it difficult to move quickly. The sound came from behind those trees, though, about a 100 yards away. I wish I knew what kind of trees these were. I could tell my friends and co-workers how I shot my first buck after hearing it move on the other side of a group of elm, oak, uh, some kind of trees. I spot some dark brown fur through a break in the branches. I've been out here for at least three hours. should have packed something to eat. I really should have packed some water. If I try to move, the branches and briars under my feet will definitely scare this animal off can't shoot a doe some conservation rule has to be a three-pointer better fork and horn horn and fork whatever I do have a bear tag though I also have a cougar tag there's roughly a 50% chance it's a buck so male or female I've got only a one in six chance that it's a doe screw it it'll be dark soon better to ask forgiveness or something like that I raise my rifle find the patch of fur steadily squeeze the trigger And safety's on. I rock the safety forward. Back on target. Boom! Looks like it dropped right in its place. ringing in my ears is pretty loud. I've shot without hearing protection before, but since I found out I have hearing loss, I've only shot with earplugs in. Ah, damn ringing. My heart is beating fairly hard. I can hear each beat with the ringing in my ears. that's it. I wish I would've worn earplugs. No sense being quiet anymore, though. I make my way around the left side of the trees, branches breaking under my feet with just about every step. The tree branches hang low enough and are thick enough that going around is going to be easier. It's really starting to get dark now. As I look to my right, I can see the slight glisten of fresh blood and the dark fur of, what is that? A monkey? There aren't any monkeys around here. At least I didn't know that there were. It looks like it's as tall as me. I shot a freaking monkey? I don't have a tag for a monkey. Is this someone's pet? Doesn't look like any species of monkey I've seen before my extensive discovery channel viewing. I set my pack and rifle down and tried to figure out what it is. I didn't hear anything behind me. I didn't feel it when my left arm was dislocated. What I could feel every bit of though, was the muscles and tendons in my shoulder being torn apart. I've never felt so much pain before. A large hand covered in dark brown fur has my arm and another is wrapped around my neck. I can see my own blood gushing out of my shoulder. My arm is no longer attached. With each heartbeat that I feel and hear and see, everything gets darker. And darker,
0: so was it Bigfoot?
1: I think, or
0: was it a monkey?
1: Just a literal chimpanzee wandering around the woods, like a
0: straight up m- ape. ape, like a gorilla.
1: I'm, I think it was Bigfoot.
0: You're going with Bigfoot. I'm going with it? Bigfoot. So, wait, he shot one Bigfoot, and then the other Bigfoot is getting, is getting him.
1: I, I read it like the the one Bigfoot was like distracting him
0: while the mm. other Bigfoot
1: could like sneak around back and rip his arm off.
0: They're like orcas, but on land.
1: <laughs> That's a terrifying comparison. Orcas are the devils of the sea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> orcas are the devils of the sea. That's a shirt 100% I'm doing, and orcas are the devils of the sea shirt
1: find it Happy on Halloween, website. everyone. It's
0: going to be an orca wearing those stupid devil horns for Halloween.
1: <laughs> but no, Matt, in all seriousness, loved your story.
0: Dude, that was so it's fun. good. fun. I also think Frankie was kind of the perfect voice for that. Yeah. Because um,
1: like Frankie was going along in the background, like yeah. in the practice round. He was like, this is exactly what would happen <laughs> if I went hunting.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he said that exactly. And, and I think it's true, like not true, but like, I think they're. Frankie doesn't have the aptitude to hunt, you know, and and so I think his voice really fit that.
1: It was a good
2: match.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um. So up next is we're starting to get into some longer stuff now.
1: Yeah, we kind of stacked it with the the shorter, the more flash flash <laughs> fiction yeah, yeah, up yeah. top. Some of these people bent the rules a little bit, but
0: yeah, as we go on, um, our last two stories will definitely stretch the the rules not rules that we put in place we were asking for 500 to 1,000
1: the suggested limit yeah uh,
0: the second to last does like like uh, 2,800 I think is what I counted um, but you read it faster <laughs> than how I read the one that was like at 1,800 so um, so we put that one first. Uh, but that's not this one this is this is bound in eternity and
1: and it's by um one of our favorite people, yeah, Paul Waterman from the Book Nook, yep, co-owner,
0: of the fan Book of Nook. the show. He was and on our he last was episode, on the Tim Burton episode. This is a piece that he's written. Uh, he did not write it for our show, but he sent it in again to support us because we've to been app-
1: harassing him for a long time. We're I like, mean, literally, on, sure, the writing. day
0: we came up with this idea, Paul was there, and we're like, hey, you're a writer, send some in. <laughs> he's like "Uh, okay
1: and he completely blew our minds with it and (laughs) he'll probably blow yours such a
0: cool story and we're going to talk about something after this so let's jump into it three
1: two one solomon first noticed a tingling sensation his confusion was caused by a lack of understanding he did not know who he was but that he just existed Then the tingling sensation began to escalate. It felt like blood rushing back into his legs and feet after sitting for a long time. But this was all over his entire being. Images were forming and swimming through his mind? No, it seemed more than mere thought. But how could that be? He never felt this way before. It was as if he was floating in a void, and it took everything in his will to hold on, to prevent himself from scattering through the universe. There was something else here wherever he was. People and places he had never known, ideas and notions he had never considered filled him. They pulled at him, at his soul, as if trying to consume him. These strange concepts permeated him. They were a part of him somehow. He instinctively fought back these strange invaders, repelled them to keep hold of his own sanity. Eventually, memories emerged from the shadows of his consciousness. This he recognized and he felt anxious a roaring river, desperate screaming, the scent of muddy earth and the sound of heavy breathing. Then he saw her. Ginny, where's Ginny? He could not open his eyes or move a limb. He felt constricted and exposed at the same time. Why can he not see? Why can he not move? A memory flared again. He was running to her. She was screaming and fighting. Then there was blackness, an unbelievable pain in the back of his head. These will do just fine, a voice growled, turning into a wicked laugh before he faded to blackness. There was no pain now. A blow like that would have bashed his head. Death? Purgatory? Oh Jenny, I'm so sorry, he thought. He prayed she was okay. His grief became strong at the thought of never seeing her again, touching her face, hearing her laugh, and even her stern, disapproving tone at times. If she were dead too, would he see her here, wherever he was? This brought him some peace. Any possibility of reuniting with her was something to grasp onto and not let go. As his emotions settled, the strange thoughts began to creep in again, like roots seeking a foothold in the soil. Though not his thoughts. They made no sense to him, and certainly were not concepts he had ever pondered before. He started feeling confined and claustrophobic as the foreign ideas wrapped around him. The more it converged on him, the less he seemed himself, and that scared him. He had a feeling it would consume him if he let it. Would that be so bad, he thought. His soul was exhausted and his attention began to wander. He dreamed of a wondrous and wild people, places he had never been and not sure ever really existed. It was the most vivid dream he had ever had. There was a tugging in his soul. He felt a connection that enveloped him. He could not explain it, but this was personal and familiar. In the recent chaos, he was so thankful for the feeling of peace. As he let himself slowly be consumed by this dream, he felt something new. He could not place it at any one point in his body. It was as if all of his skin was dry and stretched. There was a tightness, like being bound, yet it felt natural, as if it was always meant to be. It was him, but not him, just like the strange thoughts. The old man entered the ancient but well-lit library. He studied the long rows of shelves and the markings upon them. Dust floated down from the rafters above. He waved a hand before his eyes and the particles ran away in a swirling retreat. A stack of books were cradled in his left arm. He finally found his mark on the shelf and with his right hand slid one of the books into its appointed slot. He reconnected the chain on the bookshelf to the spine of the book. His finger with its yellowed and cracked nail slid down the neighboring spines in search of another title. Ginny, he could feel her close by and energy grew as he concentrated on her. He felt her presence, and it was so comforting. He felt her reach out to him. Then she was gone. He was disconnected from not just her, but from everything, just gone, except for a small part of himself. He felt his skin slowly restrict and wrinkle. Overwhelming joy filled him. It seemed his soul was opened and set free. Words, names, places, feelings flooded him impossible to contain and they whirled like a tornado until suddenly everything was dark again he felt his skin become tight again the old man shuffled back into the library he slid the book of history and lore back onto the shelf and reconnected the clasp to the spine satisfied with the knowledge he had obtained he patted the spine and turned down the aisle solomon was once again reconnected to the new world he had awoken to this world of many strange things And in this new world, she was there, waiting for him.
0: All right. So you read that one. I did read that one. Yeah. And beforehand, you had told me that you thought I wrote that.
1: Yeah, because, so Tyler's kind of been... He took it on upon himself to kind of dump all of the stories into our Google Drive so that we could look at them. And I was just going in and like browsing them and I started reading that one and I'm like, this feels like something Tyler would write. Like Yeah. I don't know. It just had a very Tyler esque vibe to it. And when I told Tyler mm-hmm. that, he was like stoked.
0: I think I think it's it's weird because you've read some of my fantasy stuff, right? Um and that kind of fits with a little bit of my fantasy work. But if I have anything grounded in real world, anything, I have such a different tone of voice. And it's very much the tone of voice you get from the scrying story that I wrote where it's yep. it's almost comical. Like I, I try to make characters talk the way that I talk where like I can take a situation seriously, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to be a smart ass about it. And so it's, it's kind of weird. And so like with that one... I can see how maybe you might, because you've read some because fantasy Because of the of lore mine. stuff yeah. and
1: some of the descriptions. I was just but like, oh, I, this feels like Tyler.
0: I genuinely, I don't think that I'm that good of a writer. I think Paul hit it out of the park with that. Uh, genuinely, genuinely excited to see more of Paul's stuff in the future. We're going to pressure him so much now. Yeah.
1: He kind of like shot <laughs> We're himself in the frightful. foot with this one. <laughs> We're getting you
0: to write more and put it on our show.
1: Um, so up next we have the last concert which was written by Tyler Tyler Frankie yeah, but it's read by Joy Stroopy.
0: Yeah. So you get to hear Joy just do such a good job. I'm so excited. Here we go.
2: It's confirmed. We've got it. The dressing room immediately erupts in a huge sigh of relief. I can't remember the last time I've heard five sweeter-sounding words. It's over, I think. The nightmare is finally over. Only Detective Flanagan's craggy face refuses to break into a grin. Are you sure, Herring? The Irishman demands. What's your proof? I'm not letting these boys go out there tonight unless we're absolutely sure. You can almost hear the officer sigh with frustration on the other end of the walkie. Old man Flanagan never heard a piece of good news he couldn't mistrust. I pity the nurse who had to come and tell him, Congratulations, it's a girl. I'm sure she got nothing but utmost suspicion. It's him, Herring said confidently, patiently paper and pen that matches the original note, along with another one he had written for the drummer. I guess he was going to send it after tonight. He had a weapon, high-powered hunting rifle, with a scope damn near strong enough to see a fly scratch its ass at a thousand yards. Flanagan hears it, but doesn't seem to believe it, and I know he's inclined to call up the show. I jump in. That's good enough for me, detective. I say, laying on the charm as only the lead guitarist in the country's hottest rock band can. Please, let us play. You've got the asshole. And now you can do what you want with him. But don't let him get what he wants. Don't let him ruin this for all of those fans of mine out there. Even from in here, Flanagan can hear the roar of the crowd outside. The noise of 50,000 screaming people is hard to miss. The rest of the band is quick to join in with their own pleas. The detective gives us a hard stare for what feels like forever. Then finally, relents. All right, he says, but I need the note. We'll take it into evidence. I would rather burn the damn thing, but I'll just be happy long enough as I can get it out of my possession. Handwritten in surprisingly neat and orderly lines. The loathsome letter had rambled on about the band's satanic tendencies and our moral corruption of, quote-unquote, the youth. None of which was particularly original or unfamiliar to us, or the sad sacks that have to read our mail and monitor our social media presence. Two things about the note were unusual, though. One, its medium of delivery. Not through the U.S. Postal Service or some other form of certified mail but tucked neatly inside the pockets of my guitar case. The other thing, the chilling promise at the end of it, tonight, you will play your last concert. Enough of that, I say to myself. It's over. I hand the note to the detective, and hope I never see either of them again. The band has already left the dressing room, no doubt eager to make it on the stage before Flanagan changes his mind. I don't blame him and I quickly follow. Outside, the noise rises to near deafening levels as the PA blasts the news that the show will go on. Each step I take is a little lighter as I unload the terror and anxiety of the previous 24 hours. Some nutjob hates me. In fact, he hates me so much that he drove out here tonight with plans to sight me down the scope of a hunting rifle and pull the trigger. Whatever, I'll deal with that later. Right now, it's another show. There are 50,000 people out there and my job is to give them a night they'll never forget. We hit the stage and the air crackles with electricity unlike anything I've ever felt. Our lead singer screams, Hello Portland! And the crowd loses what little sanity they have left. I grab my guitar and flip the strap over my shoulder. There's so much adrenaline coursing through me that it feels lighter than air. The smooth, polished wood of the neck is safe and familiar. And I know that tonight is gonna be a good one. Our first song was picked for me because the opening chord lets me do my trademark power strum. You've seen it if you've seen us live. It's one where my hand starts way above my head and I hammer down on those strings as hard as I possibly can. Tonight I'm going to try to make the people back home in LA hear this one. The strum is a thing of beauty, but something's wrong. The sound is hollow, discordant. My first thought, the guitar's out of tune. With the stalker and everything, we hadn't had the time for a sound check. But we've played this venue before, and we had just had the concert in Seattle last night. Everything should be fine. A girl screams, and it proves infectious. But there are screams not out of excitement or anticipation, but of horror. I look down, and that's when I see the blood. The stalker had more than one trick up his sleeve. The rifle may have been his plan A, but he'd had a plan B. He had switched my guitar strings with razor wires.
1: I love that one. It gave me literal chills. Like (laughs) I was I can't even remember. I was somewhere when I was reading it and I like shivered, like full body shivered. I was like, You gross like, oh.
0: Was it he set it up really well. Yeah, okay. It was
1: like a twist and it was like kind of that like I don't want to say like cheesy, but like that gimmicky like horror like and that's when he realized blah blah blah. But it worked. He made it work.
0: I agree. I think that Frankie really no, because the the majority of the story doesn't feel horror.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: uh, It feels more thriller. Feels more like um, action, crime, noir, almost right. Yeah. Uh, and then and then the last second you get that you know razor wire replacing the strings and it's that feels like a horror movie because it is gimmicky yeah it is like ooh, the image of that is gross Gross. it doesn't work but it's gross
1: makes me like ball up my fingers (laughs) and like try to protect them
0: and um and so yeah i think it's i think it's nuts how well he he kind of played off like oh maybe this isn't really a horror one more and then out of nowhere it totally hits yeah and so joy was talking about how she's like oh i i was doing a, a southern accent For that character um and she's like but he's he's from la i was (laughs) like joy you are getting way too into the head of this character (laughs) i was like also people can move to la from the south you can have a southern accent and be from la kind of so so i had to like she because she read three-fourths of it before she came to me with this problem Oh, God. and I was like it doesn't matter just keep doing it
1: <laughs> that's why you guys were laughing so much in here
0: well that and then we had another story for the can now one where um, she it's it takes place in England and there's a name of a gang and it's a really weird name and she was having a hard time, so then I was like, "You have to really go into the accent, an English accent, like it's like the girl gang." <laughs> and she's like, "What? I can't do that." I was like, "No, it's easy. Just talk regular, like yeah." So then I was walking down the street, and then I saw the girl gang.
1: <laughs> so uh, that segues perfectly into the next one, in which I did not attempt a British accent at Ooh, yeah. all,
0: even though it was written, even by- though it was
1: written. By a Brit or about a Brit. The main character was British because they were having a stag party, y'all.
0: Well, (laughs) he did specifically change it to uh, take place in America so that we didn't have to do an English accent.
1: That was very kind of him. Carl, this is
0: Carl Bowman. Bowman?
1: Or Bowman? Bowman. We don't know. I'm really sorry, Carl. I got that wrong. Social murderer.
0: Let's check it out.
1: Why is my phone wearing a shoe? I was struggling to look at the screen through a red haze. I must have drunk way too much last night. I'd been at Mitch's stag party and hoping I was sober enough to escape a DUI. I tried to blink away the sticky sleep from my eyes. I peered closer at the phone in my hand that seemed to be constantly ringing and buzzing. That can't be right. My cell phone appeared to have metamorphosed into a shoe, my shoe, and it had my sock in it. The green socks with yellow diamonds I'd been wearing last night. And the sock wasn't empty, it had a foot in it, my foot, raggedly severed with bone protruding from the stump. I screamed and dropped the revolting object. It fell up and thudded loudly on the ceiling. Fell up? I suddenly realized I wasn't in bed but suspended upside down in my car, screaming at the top of my lungs for help. I failed to see the hand reaching in to retrieve my foot. I had been a latecomer to social media. Working as a senior counselor at a mental health service in Richmond, Virginia for the past 15 years left me too drained for internet nonsense. 15 years is a damn long time to be surrounded by the mentally ill. The patients weren't much better, I laughed to myself. I had a busy work and home life and had always considered the all-pervasive apps a complete waste of time. Too many people just living through the screens of their mobile devices instead of actually doing things and interacting with real people. But, Michaela, my teenage brat daughter, took the piss and insisted on calling me old-fashioned and boring. This, coupled with the fact that my patients seemed obsessed with these apps and constantly referred to them in our sessions, finally compelled me to open accounts and explore the digital world. I found it ironic, and more than a little irritating, that Michaela failed to acknowledge my friend request. Little bitch. All too quickly, I found myself drawn in. Old colleagues, school and college friends, plus distant family members inundated me with friend requests and all kinds of pointless crap. Constant comments on their lives, political opinions, pictures of what they ate for dinner, or which airport they were currently at. With my background in psychology, I found these insights into human behavior, no matter how trivial or annoying, fascinating. So I threw myself into the deep end, studied people's behavior on the web, read about trolls and internet stalkers, learned how easily people could be manipulated by strangers to commit suicide or murder. These modern-day monsters were just random voices in the electronic wilderness, hellbent on causing misery just because they could. These creeps considered themselves anonymous and untouchable. They had no fear of being discovered or having a victim appear on their doorstep carrying a hatchet. This dark side of the net intrigued and tempted me, I started wondering how easy it would be to join their ranks. Could I be that evil? And how much fun could it be? Although I am an expert in treating obsessive compulsive behavior and traits, I failed to recognize these starting to impinge on my own life. Eventually, I couldn't bear to be parted from my cell phone, tablet, or laptop, and I even interrupted my sessions with patients to check for new updates and messages. My downfall would be to finally create my own support group specifically for people suffering from bipolar disorder. I was compelled to be there 24-7. I was the admin and needed to moderate and help those in crisis. Everything else became irrelevant. I had to be available. It was my child and I needed to nurture it. The compassion that had drawn me to the healing profession now spread across the globe. I couldn't refuse any request for assistance or advice from anyone, anywhere, anytime. I wouldn't even drive without my phone glued to the windshield, just in case I missed a cry for help. That was why I failed to see the trap on the bridge. The spring-loaded device that spun my car over the edge and left it crumpled on its roof next to the river, ripping the foot off my leg in the process. But eventually, these constant demands for assistance started to bore me. They became repetitive and began to frustrate. My advice was ignored, and I hate being ignored. The same damn people coming back to me every day with the same damn problems, and they were always trivial and mundane, easily resolvable, if they could be bothered to help themselves rather than bleed on looking for sympathy. That was how I started to feel anyway. There can be a fine line between being in need of help and just being boring. So I decided to liven things up. I knew the buttons to press. My advice stayed the same, almost, disguised among the sympathetic words I began to sow seeds of dissension, subliminal messages. And wordings that I knew would eat like maggots within the already twisted minds of my readers. The ultimate social experiment, winky face. Just suggestions that maybe their lives would improve without the influence of their friends and family. Perhaps simple solutions could be found for the removal of their problems. I would suggest that they should move on, and moving is much easier when you have no baggage to take with you. You can erase the past, perhaps rub it out. Keeping track of my success was easy. My group members' status updates became more interesting, especially when they were dead or incarcerated. Their family members kept their accounts open and posted condolences or information about their absence from social media. Often, I could find out where my members were being held and send traditional snail mail to them in order to continue giving help. Then, it was just a case of watching the news and reading the obituary columns. I was unable to believe my luck when I came across Ryan Punches. The young man came from a troubled, redneck family and lived in a backwater of Okeechobee. When Ryan private messaged me, I could almost hear the dueling banjos from Deliverance trilling in my ears. Manipulating Ryan was easier than the apple pie he undoubtedly ate every day. First, I requested that Ryan keep a daily diary of his mood swings and triggers. He was to email them to me as often as possible. I gave my advice for free, a service that the young man would never have been able to obtain within the good old US of A's medical system. Over the course of a few weeks, our relationship developed, a bond formed between us. Ryan had never received such concerned, fatherly advice. He told me that the only pearls of wisdom he'd received from his mother's frequently changing boyfriends had been delivered by the end of a belt, not a comforting, reassuring email each night. He was more than willing to take my every advisement at face value and told me that he often wept into his pillow at night for the kindness he was receiving. That made me laugh. If only the slow-witted fool had known he was just a pawn in my game. I slowly managed to convince Ryan that his problems were not of his own making. His mother and five older brothers were the ones to blame. They should be the ones to pay. They deserved it. They needed to be taught the error of their ways. It was only right. God would forgive him, I said. He could be a tool of righteous justice. Just like overturning the moneylender's tables in the temple, Ryan could be the lesson that the unworthy and mean members of his family needed to learn. But how? Ryan asked me. They're big and tough. These guys bite the heads off rattlesnakes just for fun and to impress the waitresses at the local bar. They know I'm a pussy, he said. A wimp. They wipe their boots on me when they get back from the mill. What can I do? You have brains, I told him. You have a soul. It will be easy. And it was easy. Thank you, internet. I spent a fruitful five minutes researching bomb making. Then I instructed him on what to buy at his local Kmart. What amount of gas to get at the gas station and in what type of containers to store it. I walked him through constructing the bombs and where best to place them in the crawl space beneath his family's trailer home. All that Ryan needed to do was set the device's timers and go to church to pray. I assured Ryan that when he left for the evening service his redemption would be secured easy. I treated myself to a huge surf and turf and a pitcher of margaritas that night that Ryan told me he was going to church the next day, even though I'd been saving myself for Mitch's stag party the next night. The news would make national broadcasts, CNN, NBC, maybe even the BBC. I toasted myself. That poor sap Ryan, sad face. After checking his computer, the FBI would undoubtedly come to me for my professional assessment of his mental state. The key words were already flowing through my mind. Delusional, paranoid, religious fixations, extremely unstable, anger management issues, abused. The list went on and on. I tried my best, I would decry, but there was only so much I could do over the internet. If only they knew. I had chuckled to myself. Maybe it's the booze? It wasn't, though. It was the thought that my next group member's actions would eclipse Ryan Punches with a dark shadow that may never be lifted. I'd already started grooming a disturbed young woman in Boston, Massachusetts. Smiley face. I was shocked awake and screamed at the top of my lungs when Ryan banged a hot skillet against the end of my right leg. The one that was missing a foot. The foot that had been torn off by the accelerator pedal when Ryan's trap blew my car off the road. Panicking, I looked left and right. All I could see through the pain were semicircles of light far off to each side. Just dark, damp brickwork above. The stench of sewage, adulterated brook, assaulted my nostrils. I puked all down the front of my shirt. I tried desperately to wipe my face, but my hands were tied behind my back. Where the hell am I? I choked. You're in my home, Ryan answered. His voice was deep and gravelly. Very deep. Yet also strangely feminine. Who are you? I cried, delirious. What happened? Why aren't I in the hospital? I thought it was about time we met face to face. I'm Ryan Punches. Well, that's who you think I am. Ryan? Ryan from the group? My Ryan? I forgot my agony for a second. This was insane. Ryan lived hundreds of miles away. He he should be in jail by now, or an asylum. This wasn't possible. And what was that delicious smell of something cooking? I'm not your Ryan, Andy. I'm your troll. I started to doubt my own sanity. You're my troll? What are you talking about? You mean on the internet? You've been trolling me? This didn't make sense. If anything, I'd been trolling Ryan. The young man sighed. No, Andy. I'm a troll who uses the internet. Look around, this is where I live. You drive over me every day on the way home. I took a moment to examine my surroundings more closely. We were under a bridge, and there was a pot bubbling over a fire between us. That's where the smell, making me salivate, was coming from. I stared at Ryan, just a youth with sandy hair, wearing a checked shirt and jeans, holding a smartphone, the same person whose profile picture was on his personal page. Then Ryan shimmered. I blinked. Now there was a dumpy, middle-aged woman sitting opposite me, wearing a tartan skirt and with a laptop perched on her ample lap. She winked at me. What the hell? A second shimmer. I voided my bowels. The thing's head almost touched the ceiling. It was covered in fur the color of moss and it had tusks. Oh my god, it's mouth! And is that my fucking laptop it's holding? I gagged from the stench of shit emanating from the brook and my pants. You're telling me you're a troll? A real troll? The kind of troll that snatches people and eats them? Almost right, Andy. But we're a bit savvier in this internet age. Rather than wait for unsuspecting travelers, we find you online now. So we know you're deserving. And we don't eat you. We make you eat yourselves. Personally, I prefer fried chicken. The troll stuck a fork in the pot and pulled out my foot. He waved it underneath my nose. Don't worry, though. You're not going to die today. I stared in horror at the meat that was slowly falling away from the bones. Despite myself, I licked my lips. No? So you're going to let me go if I eat that? Don't be silly, Andy. I said you weren't going to die today. This will take months. It winked again. Look on the bright side, though. You won't go hungry.
0: That was a long one. It was. I ran out of breath. (laughs) But the payoff on that one was real good. so good. I think it was really good. I Um, really
1: enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know. I like things that are like commentaries on you know um, present like culture and yeah. stuff I'm like i love anything that like takes aim at social media
0: right yeah i i thought that carl really did a good job of of finding the balance between making a point and then using that theme to make a a horror out of it mm-hmm. you know because that's that's what like a lot of horror is it's a it's a commentary on stuff like it and most of John Carpenter stuff and, and all of that and and so I think finding something that's mundane in our world like look at Jaws yeah Jaws is scary because it's just going to the beach and then you die yep. going to the beach so I, I think it, it was really cool It was a, it's an ode back to like what horror if you know scary horror really is well put. <laughs> so finally, uh, this is our last story of the evening. And, and you know, I, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Um, and the last story comes to us from a gentleman named Dean Floyd. And Dean, um, I do want to apologize a little bit real quick, because the name of, of this story has a word that we looked up on YouTube. I've got um, Hannah specifically... I, I specifically got Hannah to do this show with me because she's smarter than me oh. and even she couldn't figure out what this sto- this word is
1: I mean if YouTube says one thing who am I to argue with and I don't it? even know if
0: I'm saying it right as compared to what YouTube told us it was we had Frankie who's a journalist he looked at it he didn't know what the word was but it exists it's in the dictionary but nobody <laughs> knows how to pronounce it properly and then we none of us really agreed that YouTube said it right so I just kinda look at the word and hope I say it the right way. I really do. And this time I'm gonna say it atrament. Autramant summons. That's what I think it atrament.
1: And if which, we can get past the fact that none of us can say the word yeah, right. Which it
0: basically means like black. It's like a blacky, like dark uh, adjective, right? And so like uh ink squid is is atrament. Attriment. Attriment by... Attriment Summons by Dean Floyd. Here we go. <laughs> my greatest regret is not destroying the accursed Atrey Mint wardrobe sooner. For the children's sake and my sanity. Having lost both parents piteous children came to live with me, their great uncle. Naturally, I was remiss, having never fathered children myself. The only love of my life died ere I could propose to her. In bitterness, I swore off fanciful romanticism as childish, whilst my immediate family produced children, who grew and produced children themselves. Two boys, and two girls to be exact. Particular they were at first, and not simply because their loss. I dare say their subdued temperament was like flower petals knocked free by a strong gust, blown far from their stems, beautifully wandering, no oh dying. I did not pretend to expertise on the raising of children, so I loosened them upon my manor. The estate stretched across the hillside with rooms aplenty to entertain, such as we needn't cross paths, but during the three daily meals, At first, they proceeded with caution, barely venturing beyond their rooms and the halls between. Upon reflection, they may have considered the manor haunted. Soon though, they became too acquainted with the grounds and resorted to annoying one another. Arguing for hours on end, usually the younger brother would tease his little little sister until tears overtook her. Then, the old siblings would berate their brother until he retreated to his room, thereby slamming the door. So reported my household staff where I stayed in my study much of the day, occupied with my thoughtful readings and pipe tobacco. This went on for several days until the quarrels grew so loud they pierced my study walls. I tasked my staff to resolve the matter, but not a one of them raised children either. Thus, in an inkling of imagination existed in subduing the rambunctious children, I contemplated no long-term solution, try as I might. But a short-term remedy presented itself by necessity. You see, a heavy rainfall imprisoned them within my manor's walls one day. On this wet day, their most intense bickering surfaced. Although I longed to eject them outdoors, my staff noted that the children would catch cold and fall ill or worse. Alas, they were limited indoors. But a recollection reminded me of the simple childhood game of hide and go seek. I assumed they would groan at my suggestion, but the idea excited them. All rooms, nooks, and crannies were a fair sport, with the obvious exception of the undercroft. Under no circumstances was the cellar below the manor to be explored. I did not want the children getting lost in the dark bowels that crawled beneath the house. Wouldn't you know, the devilish younger brother blatantly neglected my command. We spent the better portion of an hour looking for him well after the game's end until his siblings grew tired and we announced him the champion, hoping to draw him out. We scoured the palace until defeated, then got the staff involved, searching high and low. Still, the boy remained aloof. One maid suggested that temptation led the boy to probe the restricted undercroft. I thought it absurd, but... Sure as the moon dons a black veil once a month, so we found the door to the basement ajar. Foul air whistled an ungodly motif through the crack of the doorframe. Which of you unlocked this? None of my staff confessed, fearing termination. I would address that later. Momentarily, I had harsh words for the lad. Livid anger boiled within my chest. Why had he disobeyed me when I expressly forbade him? At my request, a maid produced a large candle and I descended the stairway alone. The flickering candle cast dancing shadows across the low vaulted stone ceiling. I shot the boy's name into the dark, but only hollow echoes returned. I coaxed him with promises of desserts before supper, specifically Turkish delights, which he was quite fond of. Not but silence answered. I edged forward, but even the candlelight hesitated to advance, and I began threatening the boy with stern discipline such as he had never been inflicted upon him. But idle threats forced me deeper. The boyish cry rent the silence in twain. My anger died, like a fire doused with water. A frigid trepidation crept over my body, lodging an ache in my aging joints. Wisps of my breath passed before my eyes, I prayed that he had not walked the length of the chamber. His name quivered on my lips. Hearing the strain in my voice, the three remaining siblings descended and joined me against my will. I Admit now, their presence comforted me. Yes, me. A man more than fifty years their senior. As one we pressed onward into the dark. My staff, the cowards, stayed back, happy to be rid of me, I'm sure. At length, we passed under many archways until we beheld it. And I almost crushed my nose against its doors. The sight of it caught my breath. The wardrobe wrought and ebony wood loomed before us. Years prior, a mysterious black tree sprang from the soil atop my mother's grave. Hideous was its scorched bark, oozing obsidian sap. Of spite, I ordered it chopped down. But it seemed wasteful to dispose of it. A foreign thought compelled me to have it crafted into a fine piece of furniture. The craftsman died soon after. Still, I kept the damned thing. The moment it set foot in the manor, I knew I'd erred. But try as I might, I could never be rid of it. Thus I banished it into the undercroft to live out its days in seclusion. A terrible oversight. The latch of the wardrobe hung unlocked like an open coffin. How the lad made it so far into the dark, I'll never comprehend. With a shaking hand, I rent open the wardrobe. Cold was it to the touch. I loathed it. Where the black panel should have been, there was only an inviting darkness. Without a word, we proceeded in. All reason and caution were cast aside. The boy must be retrieved. Needless to say, the wardrobe interior stretched beyond comprehension. At length we found ourselves climbing, winding ancient steps hewn from pure obsidian. Our dark reflection ascended each step ahead of us. On either side of the steps lay a thick mist. A single slip would send one falling over a precipice to unknown depths. We climbed for time immeasurable. It seemed we were but specks inside a great cavern, the entrails of some godless netherworld. Under such duress, I admittedly forgot the siblings journeyed with me. My heart almost stopped when the youngest girl uttered a cry of despair. I'd been focused on the steps of my own reflection therein. I looked up, but my countenance sank. We'd reached the summit. It culminated with a great dais so sleek it appeared as a still body of blackened water. The boy lay abased. I knew at once he breathed not, though no injuries were visible. I stare upon his ashen face, betrayed our late arrival. Instantly, the children's tears washed the dais. Dry as I might, I could not silence them, nor would they retreat. Their loss was too great. Insufferable despair filled me then, for I knew we must depart at once. A low thrumming quaked in my bones. It came from without, notes so low they were not heard as much as felt. The children knew, too, for their crying ceased. Then I beheld it, a mere glimpse of the gigantic terror. It was lionesque in form, but beyond that all feline comparisons falter. Its great maw expanded as high as my estate gates, the deep thrumming poured from the maw along with light like a glow of dying embers. Thick wriggling tentacles with a mind of their own comprised its mane. Leathery wings spanned the length of my vision with an absolution of my demise. Its wrath weighed on me like a hot iron, simultaneously burning and crushing me. Unbaden, I knew its name. The eldritch epithet roused in me such a bitter destitution of the soul that I never experienced in all my years. Against my will, I backed away and tripped. My soul plummeted, dark depths within me, to some unseen cavern where only terror and loneliness lurked, anticipating the consumption of my being. Physically, I tumbled down a great many obsidian steps, too many to count. My injuries attest to that by the time I straightened myself upright. I found it upon me, only a scorched breath away. The surviving children fled through the wardrobe, leaving the thing to claim me. A roar erupted from its throat and threatened to shatter my spirit. Thunderous claps resounded as its gargantuan wings flapped in pursuit of me, seeking to sate its predatory nature. Despite the pain and my years, I scurried down the steps How I maintained balance after falling, I know not. Before long, I stumbled headlong out of the accursed wardrobe into the undercroft. I came to my senses much later, amongst a puddle of my own tears and other fluid. The siblings remained dumb with shock, silently sentencing me to the asylum. Though I confessed he was slain on the obsidian altar, they demanded I recant. The body never surfaced, no matter how much scrutiny my manner underwent. When the Night Terror sees me, the name of the Entity echoes like a throbbing in my skull. Nalsa. Fo Enron, Destroyer of worlds. Nalsa Fo'enron. Slayer of innocence. Nalsa. Fo Enron, The Manichaur. Of madness.
1: Okay. I feel like that's the perfect story to end on. It's so Lovecrafty. And, oh my god. And
0: Lucy. And Lewisy. I mean, it's straight taking the the beginning of *Lying the Witch in the Wardrobe* and mixing it with *The Call of Cthulhu*. And uh, honest to God, I am so happy, Dean. Did you write
1: this for us? like specifically for us? I think you us.
0: did. I honestly, like Aww. it says on there, Attriment Summons, a Lovecraftian Lewis fantastical something or other. I can't, I don't have the paper in front of me. Um, uh, let see. Yeah. The Attriment Summons, a Lewis and Lovecraftian fantastical horror story by Dean Floyd. Dude, if you wrote this for us, Thank you. You're the best. This is amazing. this is my favorite story of the night, and and if you guys thought I was like doing a jokey voice, one, you should know me by now. <laughs> I make a joke out of everything. Two, honest to God, I was reading it normal. The first time I was going through I was reading it normal, and then that voice just kind of came out of nowhere while I was reading it. And at first, my wife is like, oh, that's so annoying. But then, like, I was like, honestly, I really like this voice. And then, Hannah, you were like, actually, it's kind of working for me. It's the
1: Lovecraft
0: voice. It's like, like y- you've it's used like that Zap before. It's like Zap Brannigan Lovecraft weird <laughs> thing. I don't know. It was fun to do, and maybe that's not the voice that Dean had in mind but reading it it really was fun to do in that voice it kind of gave it more character um i know i fumbled because it was like a 20 minute read (laughs) so i do apologize for not being a voice actor who gets paid to do this professionally i tried to do the best i could but yeah so thank you dean Floyd. oh and if you want to check out his stuff also real quick let's go back real quick we didn't to, say carl's website yeah, it's carl
1: spykey1.wordpress.com
0: yeah so uh carl uh go check out his stuff he has a, a whole blog where he talks about stuff and, and he's a very talented writer like we were talking about so go check out his stuff um and then dean floyd uh website is literally dean floyd d-e-a-n-f-l-o-y-d Dot com. Um, and he has a few different stories out. I think he just released something that he's. I, I don't. I don't want to start promising people promotional stuff, but I think I saw while I was on there very quickly that he has something that you can read for free. So go check out his stuff and support him. He is a very good writer. He one hundred percent encapsulated a. L- Lewis story in a Lovecraftian tone. And and that is you did such a good job, man. I, I am I am astounded at that. So thank you for making my Halloween better with this story. Yes. Um So that's it Those for are the all the whole, stories. <laughs> for the whole <laughs> Halloween episode. Hannah, how are we gonna end this show?
1: I don't know. Should we push ahead to the next one real quick? Push ahead
0: to the next th- episode yeah Be like. what do you mean I don't know what you mean
1: tell them what what they've got in oh, store uh, yeah in two weeks
0: yeah is it two weeks holy cow yeah we gotta get yeah. on top of that we gotta read well, uh, well I've been reading a little yeah.
1: bit <laughs> yeah we've both been reading
0: Uh I'm so excited
1: for our next episode our next two episodes, really. Yeah, yeah. We're we're devoting the entire month of November, basically, to Neil Gaiman. Y- still, Neil himself. He has not
0: responded to anything on Instagram yet. I'm hoping uh, to get his attention. He
1: responds to everybody on Twitter. Maybe we should. Just, I don't want. We're not going to start Twitter. a Twitter. I'm not doing Twitter's Twitter's Twitter.
0: Stupid. Unless our fan base
1: <laughs> calls <laughs> us out and
0: says, "Yo, get a Twitter." I'm not doing a Twitter, <laughs> but um, yeah. So we're doing Neil Gaiman for November. And I'm excited because I finished one of his books. I'm reading another one, and I'm reading a book about his life. And he is super interesting guy. He seems like the cool guy that, like, everybody wants to be around. Yep. You know? Including
1: um, me, which is why I went to Scotland. But um, that's neither here nor there until he lives in
0: America. Why would you go to Scotland?
1: Because he lives there too. Oh,
0: does he really? Yeah, I was like right next to his house. What?
1: I didn't see it, but like I know I was in the vicinity because my hostel person told me. But uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that in the next episode.
0: Um, Guys, share this episode. That's what I want you to do. Don't, I mean, subscribe and and all that blah, 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 blah. blah. We're not going to get into that tonight. Or today, whenever you listen to this, share this episode. For Halloween, share a fun Halloween story podcast with whoever you're sitting next to at work, whoever you're, you know, working with at, at work, school, stuff like that.
1: It's home, your cats. Your cats. Whatever. Let your cats listen to our show, dude. It's appropriate for all species. Yes. And ages. And
0: Lovecraft would be okay with you playing stuff for cats.
1: He would highly encourage it.
0: Um, So share this episode with a friend and uh, have a happy Halloween. Have a happy
1: and safe Halloween.
0: Enjoy this harvest season.
1: And always check it.